Maybe you're new to Only Believe, or you've just been here a while observing, but you're not involved. You know you're a part of a bigger picture, but you don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm Pastor Nicole. I'm asking you to become a member here at Only Believe. Spend a Saturday morning with me, the first Saturday of the month, and let me share with you this wonderful prayer that we pray for your life. I wanna discuss it with you. You know, it's important that we know who God is, and then when we know who He is, our soul and our hearts begin to change, and we find freedom from things that often have been a vice in our life or chains that the devil meant to hold us bound. And then I'm gonna help you discover your purpose. We're gonna go through a class together and learn what you were designed to do. And then we're gonna do that and make a difference in the kingdom. See, everyone has a part to play in the body of Christ. I want you to find yours. Join me Saturday for next steps. You will definitely see what's next for you. Well, welcome. How are you guys doing tonight? Good? Why don't you turn to a neighbor and tell him you're glad to see him here tonight? Live streamers, we're so glad you hear, you're here tonight. Uh, leave us a comment below so we know you're watching, and we love staying connected with you guys. Also, if you're a first-time guest, there's a card in the back of the pew that you can fill out and take out to the Welcome Center. We just want to get to know you guys tonight. The first thing that I have is this Sunday, our series, Real Life, Real Change, continues with Pastor Nicole, and we're super excited for this message. So invite a friend, bring them out on Sunday. And the next thing we have is Dream Teams. Thank you if you've already signed up. And if you're interested in volunteering, you can head out to the Welcome Center and just find out what kind of dream teams you can get involved in so we can serve here in our church. Amen? All right. Get on your feet tonight. Are you guys ready to praise the Lord? Amen.
Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How's everyone today? Good, good, good. You know, I was just thinking on the way up here. Uh, anyone ever have that someone special in your life that's always been there for you? I mean, you can just always count on them. Anybody know somebody like that? You know, well, you know, those kind of people you never want to let down, amen? You know, and you always want to do your best for those kind of folks. Luke, I'm glad you did that. Who is somebody that, you know, and I know you're blessed and you got a lot of people to choose from, but somebody that you just would not want to let down, that you would just want to go overboard in letting them know that you appreciate them. That little one right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's niece. Yeah, yeah. She don't recognize me as uncle yet, but, you know, we're working on that. You know, for me, mine would be my wife. You know, my wife has been there for me, man. And, I mean, I just like making sure that she feels good and she's appreciated. Matter of fact, where's she at? I'm going to put some money in her pocket, you know, just to bless her. Oh, she ain't here. Man, you see, that's a 50 right there, too, see? So, so you guys are my witness. Now, I was getting ready to bless her, you know what I mean? I was getting ready to show her that I really appreciate her, so make sure you tell her she missed out. <laughs> if we could put Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 on the screen. Well, I was trying to get some points, Dave. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, Malachi 3, 8. It talks about, it says, will... Man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? In your tithes, your contributions, your offerings. The Lord arrested me years ago and said, you don't want to be the guy that's always got your hand out to me and I'm fulfilling but at the same time, you got your other hand stealing from me. And you know, I thought about that. I said, I don't want to be that person. Always going to God. He's always faithful. He's always on time. He's always doing everything that I need. What kind of person would I be going to him, need, pleading for his help at times, and him being faithful? answering my prayers, and I'm stealing from him at the same time. That's not the kind of person I want, I want to be. And at one time in my life, I was that kind of person. I just didn't know. I didn't take tithing seriously, you know, until I started coming to this church, <laughs> you know. So guess what? Today, I'm not that kind of person. And I don't believe anybody in here wants to be that kind of person. Amen. So you say, man, are you being hard on us? Absolutely not. You know, I'm just sharing what the Bible says. And I believe everybody in here has a heart to please God. So today, we're going to be pleasing to him. How? In our tithes and our offerings. So if you need an offering envelope right now, there's one on the back of your, or in the front of your pew, the, back, the one that's in front of you on the back. I guess I was right no matter how I say it. <laughs> but, um, you know, you take that envelope out and you just give accordingly, you know, especially in this season. I'm encouraging everybody, 
Give like you've never given before. I think that's my family walking in. Yep, too bad, too late, too bad, so sad, you know. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said what? Ah, uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm done now. That's back in my pocket now, you know. <laughs> okay, Lord Davis convicted me. Honey, I got something for you when I'm done praying. Let me just go ahead and pray now. Let me get up out of this place. Uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, as people... As people are, 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 are giving today, God, I just join my faith with them, Father. God, I just thank you, Father, that what they're believing for, a harvest is on the way. God, I thank you that, Father, as they sow seed, it's going to be an on-time harvest. It's going to be exactly what they need. Father, I just encourage for people that have never tithed before, God, I just speak hope into them, Father. That if they're not tithers today, that they will become tithers in the future. And God, I just speak your blessing on everyone in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Bring your offering unto the Lord. joining a small group tonight you are dismissed to go to that small group everybody else gets to stay in here with me and uh, I love small groups small groups are amazing we need to be involved in small group community and so if you've never done a small group I want to encourage you to do that the next time they're available sign up for that so I'm going to be preaching to you guys tonight, part two of our series. And tonight to wrap up service, we're actually going to finish with praying with our families. And uh, I'm going to give you some guided things to pray for, and that's going to be cool. So all of the students who, again, this week want to sit as far as humanly possible away, we see you up there. We know that you're alive. Yep, we see it. You're good until the end of service. We're going to call you down. So that'll be uh, fantastic. I'm excited to be with you guys again tonight, following up from last week on generational faith. And before we get into the word, I would like to pray. So if you guys would bow your heads with me, let's, let's pray. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that tonight you would give us eyes to see your truth. Give us ears to hear it and give us hearts that are receptive to it, Father, that it would that it would be planted deep in the core of who we are and it would produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold of Christ-likeness in our lives, Father, that you would transform us into the image of your Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, well, I'm going to start off right where I started off last week. So if you have a Bible, you need to go to 2 Timothy. For those of you that are not aware, they're written about me. I'm just kidding, but I seriously thought that when I was a little boy. I thought, look at that. God loves me so much. He gave me two books in the Bible. What's up? And I believed that until about six months ago. So that's, that's how that went. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. We read this last week. I want to read it again. 
Paul's writing to the young man, Timothy, and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I want to focus on that word, and if you hear me sniffle like that, I apologize. My sinuses are draining like amazing, and so I'm going to do that all service. So I apologize in advance if you hear that noise. I tried to blow my nose a lot, so it wouldn't happen. It's just one of those days. Paul writes, and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, and then in your mother, and then it was given to you. And we talked about the power of us passing on the faith. But what I love is that Paul says, we're not just passing on a belief, we're passing on something that's sincere. Last week, we talked also about how Paul said, hey, Timothy, you know my teaching, but it doesn't stop there. You know my teaching, but you know my way of life. And you know the struggles that I've been through, and you know the victories that we've had, and you know the very specific things that we've gone through in these different cities and these different places. You've seen it all. In other words, Paul's reminding Timothy that the faith that I gave you isn't just mere good beliefs. You saw me live it out. This faith had an impact and an effect in how I lived my life. The Bible actually would tell us, Paul would write to the church in Colossians, said that Christ is actually the center of our lives. Our lives are centered and hidden in Jesus so that there's no part of our life that Jesus doesn't affect. And Paul wants to remind Timothy, hey, this is a sincere faith. And, and you got it from these people that you knew their story. And you saw this sincere faith in them. And that's what's been passed down onto you. Not merely just a belief. You know, I referenced it last week about how we know statistically the latest research that's come out from the church shows that alarming numbers of students depart from the faith upon graduating high school. We know statistically that about half of the students that are in our youth group right now, your children and your grandchildren, statistically I can tell you half of them as of today will walk away from the faith when they graduate. That should alarm us. And I look at this and I go, I wonder if some of this might be because we're not displaying properly the sincerity of our faith. And, and I'm, I'm going to show you how, and I'm going I'm to use myself as an example because I know this can be hard sometimes to hear. But, and I also don't want you to not hear or to hear something I'm not saying. All right? I am not saying that any of us here did a bad job of raising our kids and that's why they're not in the faith today. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do want to make really clear is that the generation coming up, they question what we believe, and they want answers. And the faith that was passed down to Timothy was a sincere faith that had real-life implications in the good times and in the bad times. It was a faith that could stand no matter what came against it. It stood, and it was viable in all aspects of Timothy's life. And that's what Paul was reminding him of. You've seen the people who have passed this on to you. You've seen this live them out in good and in bad. You've watched them bear faithful witness to Jesus and the truth that is Jesus. And, and we live in a culture now where students can find information everywhere. 
which is great, when it, except when it's not great. Because if we're not giving them answers, they will go find those answers. And part of what's happening, research has shown us this, part of what's happening is students are questioning things that we claim to believe in the Bible, but they don't see us actually living it out. And so there's a disconnect, and they're able to say, if what is written here actually doesn't affect your life, then it's not real. It's not real. And it's not just our young children. It it would be college-age students. It would even be my generation. We look at this and say, if what we see in Scripture, if we actually can't live it out, then it's not a sincere faith. And my argument is that it actually is livable in every area. But maybe we have to refocus on how we're showing that. I'm going to give you an easy example. The word that Paul used specifically when he says sincere, that word, I'm not a Greek scholar, but to the best of my knowledge and study of this, that specific word is only used six times in all of the New Testament which is powerful. And the major implication of that word is this, that it's a faith without hypocrisy. It's a faith without hypocrisy. It's genuine. In other words, what we say we believe actually impacts the way we live life, right? It's not, we're not hypocritical about saying, well, we believe this but we don't really live this out. So here's an example from my life about how I was very hypocritical in how I was living out my faith. I was in high school, so all of you students in high school, this applies to you. This is part of the generational faith because you're gonna pass your faith on as well, just like those who have gone before you have, and we have to carry this. We have to carry it sincerely without hypocrisy. When I was in high school, uh, I was very open about my faith. Many, many people in, in my school knew that I claimed to be a Christian. In fact, as I got a little bit older and I became more confident in what I believed my calling was, which was to pastor, and here I am, I even was very open about that. And some of the kids I went to school with, this was their response when I said, what do you, when, you know, when we're like seniors, and I go, what are you going to do when you graduate? I'm going to be a pastor. Some of their responses were this, well, that makes sense. Because to those people, they saw the genuineness, the sincerity of my faith. To them, what I claimed to believe, they saw it displayed. It was real. However, a couple of years after I graduated, and I'm going to share this story not in any way to brag, so please don't take it that way. Uh, several years after I graduated, the Holy Spirit led me into a 40-day fast. And just to prove I'm not bragging, it took him two years to actually get me to be obedient in that because I love food and I love eating food and it's, that was a struggle for me. But two years into the Holy Spirit wooing me into this 40-day fast and I finally submitted and I did a 40-day fast. And towards the middle end of that fast, the Holy Spirit did something really amazing. He convicted me about three very specific people that I'd went to high school with. And this is what he told me. You absolutely ruined their view of me by the way you treated them. Because you claimed to be a Christian, you even told them you wanted to be a pastor. And yet you treated them completely opposite of how I would have. I'm like 30 days into a 40-day fast, feeling really good about myself for how spiritual I am, and the Holy Spirit drops this bomb on me. And I go, oh my goodness. 
And the Holy Spirit brought their names to my remembrance. And he said, you're going to go back to them. And you're going to apologize. And you're going to repent. And you're going to ask them to forgive you. And you're going to let them know that I'm nothing like what you treated them like. Okay. The third person, I'm going to be honest, full transparency, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I'm getting older. I have kids. Memory is going away. I don't remember the third person. But I remember the first two. The first one was a girl that I dated, that I got into sin with. She knew that I was a Christian. She knew that I was called to be a preacher. And we had conversations about this prior to us sinning together. This is really weird to look back on now. And yet, I treated her in a manner that was completely contradictory to the faith that I claimed to believe. And so the Holy Spirit led me to contact her and repent. And by God's grace, I was able to do so. And I repented. And the last I heard, the last I heard, she's, in, she's married now to somebody else. Obviously, it's not me. She's married to somebody else. And they're in church. Praise God. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would not have led me. I wonder how long she would have held on to me as her view of what God is like. Right? My faith was not sincere to her. There was another student that I went to high school with. I actually worked with this person for a little bit. And to be fair, he did not like me either. In fact, he was very mean to me, which made me feel better about not being very nice to him. Except there was another major issue here. His lifestyle preferences are quite different than mine. He was confused. And at that point in my life, being a young man and not very intelligent, when I would come back at him and say my mean things, oftentimes I would use very inappropriate things to say. You, you catch my drift. I'd say very not nice things. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, you're going to call him up too. And the first one was easier for me to go back to. This one was hard because I wanted to justify it. I wanted to say, but, but, but God, like I was young and dumb and I didn't know any better and he was mean first. And then the Holy Spirit's like, oh yeah, that's right. If they're mean to you, then you can just treat them however you want to, right? That's how Jesus did it. The one who died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, he came and died for us. That's how Jesus would have treated him. And I was like, you're right, Jesus. I'm going to contact him, and somehow, by the grace of God, I found him, reached out to him, and I apologized for how I had treated him. And he forgave me, which was cool, and to my knowledge, he still wants nothing to do with Jesus. So I'm like batting 50% right now. And it would be easy for me to feel good about those redemption stories until I look at my life and I go, how am I still doing this to people? How am I still not representing Jesus? Here's, here's what's really interesting. That word, remember I told you it's used six times in the New Testament. Four of those times, it speaks directly to love. The same word. 
Without hypocrisy is the, is the main meaning here. Without hypocrisy, this faith without hypocrisy. There's no duplicity. We're not saying that we love people and then actually treating them like we don't love them, right? It's without hypocrisy. That same word is used six times and four of them, it directly goes to love. Be sincere in your love, which makes perfect sense to me because Jesus is the one that said that all of God's law is fulfilled in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which we would say, well, who is my neighbor, right? And Jesus answered that. Everyone. Whoever you come into contact with, they are your neighbor. And so what we have to do, if we're going to pass on a sincere faith, we have to wrestle with how much and how well are we loving people? I work with youth. I'm the youth pastor. I can tell you that one of the most common things I hear when students question things is we claim to believe that God is love, yet it looks like we don't do a very good job of doing that to anyone that's outside of our bubble. Is it possible that maybe that's why there's a generation coming up going, I don't want that. I don't want that. And see, I got I to wrestle with this because I'm not comfortable with everything. I'm going to be real with you. I'm not comfortable with, I was just talking, where'd Rick go? What's up with that guy, man? I was going to use him as an example and he's, all right, that's fine. I was just having a conversation with Rick the other day. And we were talking about what makes us comfortable being around different people. And, and we have a funny story. Full transparency here. I don't mean to offend anyone. I, I'm from the South. I've only ever known, just full trans. I've only ever known like 10 black people in my whole life. And I went with Rick and David Scott. David is my witness here because Rick abandoned me. I went with them to Flint, Michigan to deliver water, which is a very good charitable Jesus thing to do, right? It's a good way to love people. And David will tell you, because I'm just not familiar, I haven't been in the culture, I was really, really uncomfortable. In fact, true story, I'm just letting you know, transparency. We're driving around Flint, we want to go deliver this water. I'm I think I was driving the truck, if I remember correctly. I literally drove and drove and drove until I found the one white person. <laughs> and I was like, that's the person the Lord's leading us to. Because I feel really good about that. And, and that didn't go so well with Rick and, and David. And they were like, dude, come on, man. And it's not that I don't, listen, it's not that I don't love black people. I love black people. I'm just really uncomfortable around some of them because they're different than me. We, we showed up, I'm just, I'm trying to help tear down some walls here, that's why I'm sharing this. We showed up, and the first place we went was a church, and there's this, there's a black couple, you remember this, Rick? There's a black couple, and they're arguing, and I mean, they're arguing, and I looked at Rick, I said, Rick, I think that guy's going to punch her, like, we got to go over there, because I'm from the South, and if I see a guy look like he's about to hit a woman, we got to step up, like, we got, we got to get involved, and Rick's like, man, just, it's fine. I'm like, Rick, it don't look fine. He's like, it's fine. I promise you, it's okay. I said, all right, man, I'm going to take your word for it. We go into the church. We meet with the pastor. We come out. 
honest to God's truth, they're like making out on the sidewalk. And I look over at Rick, I'm like, what is happening right now? He said, this is how they deal with problems, man. They just deal with it. And I'm like, okay, totally uncomfortable. You can ask them, I promise you. They've got plenty of funny stories about that whole trip. I was uncomfortable, and it wasn't because I didn't love. It was because I wasn't familiar with the culture, but it certainly looked like I didn't love. You, you see what I'm saying? It looked like I didn't love. Here, here's, what, here's what we have to be careful of, is that every single one of us here for a Christ follower, we absolutely love redemption stories. We love them. We'll, we'll cheer. If, if somebody who is steeped in sin, uh, let's say, I mean, I'm just going to be very exaggerative here. Let's say we, we get somebody who was involved in like the sex trafficking industry and they were doing all this terrible stuff, but somebody goes and witnesses to them and they radically get saved and they go and they start reporting everything to the FBI and multiple arrests are being made. People are being rescued and we bring them up on stage and they share that testimony. Every single one of us is going to be cheering it on. Woo, look at what God can do. And we're really good at cheering for the redemption stories. But sometimes we're really bad at being a part of them. It's like me and Flint. Like I wanted redemption and I wanted us to be able to share the gospel. But there was something about it that was just so unfamiliar to me that I wasn't, I was really, I mean, super hesitant. If Rick and David hadn't been there, I'd have turned around and just left. I wasn't ready to engage it. I was okay with Rick and David doing it, but I was just wanting to hide behind a camera. True story. And they're nice enough, and they love me enough to not let me do that, and they embarrassed me in front of some people, and you can ask them about that. It's a true story. See, what we have to do as Christians is, is we have to look at Jesus, and we have to pray really hard that the Holy Spirit will so capture us with this crazy love of God that we start to look at people differently and the things that would make us uncomfortable just start to melt away so that we actually don't just celebrate redemption stories, we're a part of them. And that's the faith that we want to pass on to our children and to the next generation is a faith that's not afraid, a faith that'll go into the darkness. We do this all the time, right? We'll stand up here and we'll go, hey, we're going to give an altar call and we just want everyone here to know that there's no sin too great that God can't rescue you. Right? There's nothing you could have done to change the way that God loves you. His love is unconditional. We'll say that. And we believe it. And yet sometimes we fail to actually live it. And we need Jesus to do something in us. And we have to realize it's not right. Jesus with the woman at the well it's a great example of this. She is a Samaritan woman, which was a double no-no for Jesus. And when he approaches her and he starts talking with her, she's fully aware of how much this is a no-no. And so she's the one that brings it up and says, you're not supposed to be talking to me. And Jesus really didn't care <laughs> about those pre-existing rules. Because he was after her. He was after her redemption because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, and then he said, by the way, children, I'm sending you out to bear faithful witness into the world. 
you're going to be like me. And you're going to look like me. And you're going to act like me. And you can't do this on your own, which is why we're going to give you the Holy Spirit who is going to remind you of everything that we've said to you. And when you're out there, he's going to give you the words to say. And when he joins with you, you're going to realize that you're one with me and that you can totally tap into this heart and this nature that just wants to rescue people. And and let me get there. I want to read this to you. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read a little bit of it here, so just just track with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on, Because this new thing has happened in Jesus. The the Messiah has come and he's proven. He's validated his story through his death and resurrection. There's a new kingdom in authority on the earth. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he rules over all. And because of what Jesus is doing, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ and the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Lord, help us to do that. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. This sentence, to me, is one of the most powerful in all of Scripture. Check this out. He says, we are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. Picture it this way. Jesus rises from the dead. He takes his disciples. He raises them up. He gives them the whole, you're going to go into the whole world and you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to teach them everything I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. Miracles are going to follow. Here's the Holy Spirit. You're now empowered to be my witnesses. And then Jesus checks out. He says, I'm going to my Father because now we're going to do it through you. Now we're inviting you in to participate in this beautiful work that we're doing because we all will celebrate a redemption story. But Jesus is inviting us to be a part of someone's redemption story. And the only way it's going to happen is if we have this sincere faith that's motivated by sincere love for people where we don't put up walls to prevent us from reaching someone, but we actually no longer view anyone from a worldly perspective. We once did that to Jesus, but we don't anymore because he's proven himself through his resurrection. And in light of what Jesus has revealed to us, I can't look at anyone from a worldly perspective. 
I can't look at anyone and say, you're too far gone for me to want to reach out to. And the implication of this is super important. Because it, it goes to the very core of what we're comfortable with, right? Like there's certain things that we could ask the church to do that you could ask me to do. And I, all day long, absolutely I'll go do that. Absolutely. I'll go on a missions trip to Timbuktu. And here's what I know about missions trips. You can get a lot of people that would normally not do any kind of witnessing to do a missions trip because you're going to go somewhere that they're going to leave and never see those people again. But to be a missionary right next door to your neighbor, that's a different story because you live in their bubble, right? See, a sincere faith causes us to enter life differently. And, and this, this is, we, we all need to wrestle with this because if I asked you, if I sat any of you down as parents, and I said, what, what would you love to see your kids, like their life for Jesus look like? I would venture that most of you would be like, I hope they're reaching their friends for Jesus. And to that I would say, amen, I hope so too. I hope that they're that bold in their faith, right? I hope that they live a sinless life. I hope that they don't ever get caught in the, in the wickedness and the evil and the, and, the, and the pain of sin and what sin can produce in their life. And to that I would say, amen, right? I hope that they love Jesus for their whole life. To that I would say, amen. Do they see it in us? If we want our children to reach their friends at school for Jesus, do they see us reaching our neighbors for Jesus? Do they see us reaching our coworkers for Jesus? Do they see how this moves us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for the one that Christ, that he died for us, right? So now we're living for Christ. Do they see it in us? Because that's what sincere faith looks like. It doesn't look like we're just telling you, hey, this is what you should do. But we actually have modeled it for them so that they see that that's real. Do you, you see what I'm saying? I know that sincere faith is deeply connected to sincere love. And I know this much too. It starts at home. It, it starts at home. And we have to sincerely love and, and deeply love our own families first. Which is hard sometimes because I got some weird Weird family members. But I'm, I, I got, I don't know if they're watching, which would be weird, but I got some family members that like get under my skin and like they just, you know what I'm saying? Anybody got, just raise your hand if you got a family member like that. Yeah, praise God. We're all in the same boat, people. And as much as I get frustrated and, and disappointed and sometimes hurt, my response because I'm a Christ follower and I have sincere faith and that sincere faith is really tied to sincere love because God loved me when I was a sinner. I'm not going to look at them from a worldly perspective. I'm going to look at them and say God is reaching them and maybe, just maybe, he'll use me to do it. And so I'm going to strip everything out that might prevent me from being a voice of influence in their life. I'm going to remove everything from my life that might cause me to offend them that is not Jesus. Because if they're offended by Jesus, we can't help that. But if there's something I'm doing that's offending them, I have to check that. So here's a simple way we live this out. 
before we do anything, before we say anything, before we post anything, before whatever, if we just all stopped, myself included, if we all just stopped and said, is what I'm about to say look like love? Because if it doesn't, it's probably not of God. This doesn't mean that truth never gets shared. I've, I've said that before. To, to just want to love and not bring truth, isn't that's not real love either. If someone's doing something that's killing themselves, and you just want to love them and not hurt their feelings and not tell them, hey, that's killing you, that's not real love, right? So love isn't an absence of truth. But if we stopped and said, does this look like love? What I'm about to say, does it look like love? What I'm about to do, does this look like love? Because sincere faith is inseparable from sincere love. We love because he first loved us, right? A sincere faith is a faith that's able to wrestle with the complexities of our faith and not dismiss them. I want to I help you with this, parents, because your kids are going to have questions. I got a five-year-old who just asked me the other day. They'll ask really tough questions. He just asked, why, why does God not answer our prayer every time we pray? Because we prayed sometimes, and like we were fishing one time. We weren't catching nothing. And my son's like, Dad, we need to pray. That's why we're not catching nothing. I said, you're right, son. Let's pray. So we prayed. Literally 15 seconds later, we caught a fish. And my son's like, "Woo! look at that. It worked. This is amazing. Like two days later, we prayed and caught nothing. And my son's like, well, why did it not work? I don't want to just dismiss that. I want to wrestle with him. I want you to know that Parents and grandparents, I want you to know that, that there's, there's some stuff happening in your kids when they go into their 10th grade year. This is just a little teaching, a little extra bonus feature here. When your kids get about the age they will be when they go into 10th grade, something dramatic happens in their bodies, specifically in their brains. And their brain shifts from thinking primarily from the emotional part of their brain to, the, to this part of their brain, which is the logic part of their brain. And here's what happens. Even though they might not ever be able to articulate this to you, here's what's happening in their brain. They're going to start questioning why they believe what they believe. Because up until this point in their life, they've just gone with what felt right. That's the way God made them. If it feels right, because all of their decisions are coming from their emotions, if it feels right, then it must be right, and so I'm going for it. But then something happens around their 10th grade year, and their brain shifts to where they start to logically think things through, and they start looking at their faith, and they don't question necessarily what they believe, Rather, they question, why do I believe it? And so it might show up in a question that they ask you that you might not know how to answer. And the temptation can be sometimes to try to just blow it off, to push it off. Kind of like when they're young and they ask about the birds and the bees and you're not ready for that yet. You're just kind of like, oh, look, there's a squirrel outside. That's so cool. We can't do that with them in their faith. Jesus absolutely will stand on top of all the doubts and questions that they have. Like, he'll, he'll stand above it all. But a sincere faith is able to wrestle with it and not dismiss it. Some of your kids right now have some very real questions about their faith and why they believe what they believe. And they want you to help them answer them. 
And if they can't get the answer from you, pull out your phone, Google the question they just asked you, and see what they're going to find out. Because that's what will happen. That's why in the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up because I don't want to lose everybody. I know it's been kind of a lot. In the Old Testament, parents are actually instructed to teach their kids about God everywhere. Like if you read it, it sounds a little bit exhausting. It's like when you're out on the street, when you're in the field, when you're going to bed at night, when you're cooking dinner, just tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. And here's my brilliant thought about why it was telling us to tell them about Jesus everywhere that we went. It's because Jesus actually affects our life in everywhere we go. Right? In the way we handle our finances and steward our finances, Jesus has the say in that. He gets to determine that, right? He gets to tell us where we should give and where we should sow. And he, he gets to be the one to lead us and to instruct us in what it looks like to be good stewards of what he brings into our house. Right? He, he gets to be the one that instructs us in how we raise our children and nurture them and, and love them. He gets to do that. We don't get to make this up on our own. We've got to follow his lead. Right? He's the one that instructs us in what it means to bear faithful witness to Christ when we go to work each day. He gets to go with us to work. Right? He, he's the one... Let me say it this way. We do not get to approach Jesus and Scripture like we have it figured out and then read it and make it fit what we think. That was how the Pharisees approached Jesus, right? This would have been me in high school with the friend that I worked with who I was very mean. I was writing my own way of how I could bear faithful witness to Christ in his life. And I messed it up. The disciples' approach is that I don't know truth unless Jesus reveals it to me. Because he is truth, right? So when we approach Jesus and we approach the word, we have to do our absolute best to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see what Jesus is actually saying to us. Because then we'll be able to live it out. But if we come to Jesus thinking we've got it figured out and we're trying to ask him questions to get him to say what we believe, or we try to misinterpret what he's saying to get it to be what we believe and what we're comfortable with, then we're not actually following Jesus in that particular way. So we have to do our best to come to Christ and say, you lead me because you are truth, right? And then we teach our kids how to do that. I don't have the answer to every question my kid's going to ask me. I don't have the answer to every question your kid's going to ask me. And they do ask some doozies sometimes. But I know that Jesus does. And I know that if I can show my children how I take those questions to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me out here. I'm struggling with this. I, I, don't, I don't quite know, Jesus, how to love this person well. And I've got a lot of good reasons why I don't need to. It's kind of like that whole, uh, the Bible says we got to love them, but we don't have to like them. It's not actually in the Bible. So Jesus, I need you to help me love this person well so that I'm bearing faithful witness and so that my children 
are receiving from me something that's sincere and not hypocritical, that is genuine, that is the real thing, that, that what I say I believe really actually I'm living it out. I'm, I'm living it out. This is how we turn the tide on the staggering number of students leaving the faith is that they're seeing in each and every one of us, just like Paul said to Timothy, this sincere faith first lived in your grandmother, and then it lived in your mother, and you've seen it in me, and you've seen it in these other people that you've been around in the church, in the ministry. You've seen these people live this out in the good times and in the bad, and you've seen them wrestle with God over things, and you've seen them go to God and question, and you've seen sick people who we thought we were going to lose be raised. You've seen people murdered for the faith. You've seen... You've seen us walk through all of this, and we've all held our testimony. We've all been faithful to the teachings of Jesus. We've all held our ground here because we really are living what we believe, right? That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? Because it's easy to say, I believe that Jesus says I should love my enemy. It's harder to live that out if I'm not really convinced that that's what Jesus asks me to do, you know? And so I want to, I want to encourage you guys with this. Jesus said he was leading us to abundant life, and I believe it. And I think abundant life is found at this place of saying, Jesus, I want to be absolutely 100% sincere and without hypocrisy in my faith. And whatever that means that you've got to bring conviction to me, to, to reveal to me where I've missed it a little bit. And he's faithful to do that. And it's not fun sometimes, but he's faithful to do it. But I can tell you that when, when he removes that, a little more abundant life creeps in. Right? A little bit more abundant life creeps in to our hearts and into our spirits, and we start to look a little bit more like Jesus, and, and Jesus can start using us just a little bit more to impact other people, and that's what he wants. Faithful witness, sincere faith, passed down from generation to generation that's going to birth something that none of us can imagine in, in the generations that are coming because they'll have just built on this foundation of sincere faith. And that that is what we are called to do, and that is what we are called to pass on, and it applies to every generation because your children in school right now have to bear faithful witness because it matters, just like it did for me. And I tainted people's view of God and pushed people away from God because I was not bearing faithful witness in their lives. A generational faith that's strong and thriving and growing is one that's sincere and without hypocrisy, and I want to make something very, very clear. And then we're going to get you together with your families. The desire to have sincere faith, a faith without hypocrisy, does not mean that you will be perfect. I want to, I want to just remove that. Because sometimes we'll hear that and go, well, man, how am I sp I'm supposed to be perfect? Am I a hypocrite if I'm not perfect? No, 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 no. It means that we're wrestling. And we're not allowing ourselves to be comfortable or complacent in an area that we know Jesus is saying, that's not right. That is hypocritical faith. Wrestling with it is not hypocritical. And I want you to hear that. It's not hypocritical to be like, well, I'm struggling with something. Keep, keep following Jesus. He'll work it out. He's really good at it. The Bible says he's the author and finisher of your faith. You just keep following Jesus. He'll work that stuff out. And be honest and say, He's working it out. Don't, don't act like it's all perfect if it's not. 
You know what I'm saying? It's okay to wrestle with it and say, man, I got to let Jesus do something in me. So here's, here's how I want to do this. I want you, if you're children are here or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. I see you guys over there. God bless you. Uh, If your families are here, I want you to get up right now and go join your family. Find your parent, find your grandparent, find your great-grandparent. Let's do that first. Everybody, even all you up in the nosebleeds up there, come on down. We'll give them, we'll give them time. If you're a student and your parents aren't here, adopt a parent. Just walk up to some random adult and be like, hi, mom or dad, whichever way it goes, it's fine. David would love to adopt all of you. Haley, your father is right there. If you need help, I'll point where your parents are, kids. Some of you are like, I don't see them. Where are they at? That's not my parent. It's all right. While they're finding their, uh, the rest of them are finding their parents. I had a conversation a couple of years ago with a guy, I believe he was from Puerto Rico. I met him through a class that I was taking online. He was a PK, he was a pastor's kid, raised in the church, went to church every single service. I share this story to just bring a little validity to what I was telling you about kids and why they're leaving the faith. He, he left the faith being a pastor's kid, and in my conversation, my dialogue with him, this was literally the reason he gave. I sat in church every Sunday and Wednesday for years and years and years and heard about we were supposed to love people and be there for the poor and help take care and prefer others above ourselves, and yet I never actually saw anyone do it. And so I said, if it it doesn't actually make a difference in our lives, why follow? And he walked away from the faith. He was separated from the Lord for a couple of years, ended up meeting someone who worked with a Christian organization who I believe, if I remember correctly, they they had gone into Haiti after, after the earthquake, and they started ministering to the poor and meeting their needs, Christian organization, and he said, and that's when he found faith in Jesus again, because he actually, for the first time, saw people who actually lived out what they said they believed the Bible said to do. This is real, and, and your student might not be struggling with it, but I promise you somebody they know is, and so we, we're all in this together, sharing faithful witness to Jesus in our life and how we live. So here's what I want you to do. This could be a little awkward for you as parents or grandparents, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just have a very quick conversation with your student, and here's all I want you to say to them is this. If you have questions about God, I am a safe place for you to talk to. And I promise you, they need to hear it. They might not tell you that, but they need to hear it because some of our students don't think they can share what they're struggling with for fear of being rejected. It's just reality. So just share that with your student real quick. Just say, if you have questions about God, I am a safe place for you to come to. (laughs) Trying to have a serious moment. David's like, Pastor Tim is the guy. You want to talk to Pastor Tim? I would love to talk with your students. 
I have conversations with students pretty frequently about this stuff. You'd be amazed. Students, I want to encourage you too. Your parents said that. I'd hold them to it. And I would seriously go to them when you have questions. Go, go to them. Lydia, you can go to Mike. He's buying you stuff all the time too. He's kind of like a dad. All right. Now we're going to pray. And here's what I want you guys to pray. Two things. That's all we're going to do. Two things. I want you to pray first. Jesus, lead me faithfully to the sincere faith that's evident by the sincere love. Right? The sincere faith that's made evident by the sincere love that you've birthed in my heart. I want you to pray that as a family. Because without love, we can't do any of this other stuff right. So we want the sincere faith that's evident by sincere love. And then after you do that, I want you to simply pray together as a family that you'd hold each other accountable to this. That you're in this journey together. And that you're going to be there for one another. And you're going to love one another. And you're going to support one another. And you're going to pray for one another. Because children, your parents need prayer because you are difficult to deal with. You're difficult sometimes. And they need prayer, all right? So you pray for your parents. And then parents, pray for your children. I know, that, I know that many of you do, and I promise you it makes a difference, but pray for them. And if you're here and you don't have any family here with you, I would encourage you, you have family. So start praying for your family that they would see the faithful witness in your life and that they would come to Christ, that they would see the love of God evident in your life and it would draw them to Christ. It is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance, and so we want to show that to them. All right, so pray first. We want the sincere faith made evident by the sincere love that's birthed in our hearts through Christ. And then take a little time to pray for each other and hold each other accountable. I'll finish this up.
Let me, let me encourage you guys to let tonight be a starting point with your families in, in wrestling with this stuff. I, I want to do something I feel the Holy Spirit putting on my heart right now. Um, I'm going to do it like I do with the youth. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads, nobody looking around. It's real, it's real awkward sometimes when you feel like people are staring at you. So just close your eyes, bow your heads. I feel the Holy Spirit putting this on my heart, and so I just want to address it. If you're, if you're somebody that's here tonight, you can be a student, adult, it doesn't matter. I just want to know, if you're here tonight, and you've been fearful of asking questions about God, because you're worried that if you ask questions, the questions you want to ask will cause you to be like looked down on or rejected by, by the church. If that's you, will you just raise your hand real quick? I just, I want to see you. I see, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just hold your hand up, I see. I see. Yeah. All right, very good. You can put your hand down now. I, I want to pray for you real quick. Um, those of you that raised your hand. Father, I thank you that you're a good God. You're good and you're righteous and you love. Father, I, I pray that those, those people that raised their hands just now that said they were fearful of asking questions because of rejection, Father, I pray that you would just confirm in their heart that that's not what you're like. That you're not afraid of us bringing our questions to you because you're a caring father and you're a loving father and you walk with us and you lead us and you guide us you don't get angry with us for asking questions but you do say and your son revealed this to us that if we ask we shall receive that if we seek we will find I pray that we're a safe church for people to ask their questions that we would wrestle with people in the midst of their doubts and that we would go out of our way to make people feel welcomed here despite the doubts they might be experiencing because I believe you're real. And I know that you've risen from the grave and that you will reveal yourself to those who are seeking you. So Father, I pray that you would give them peace and that Father, you would give them courage to ask the questions. I feel that very specifically for, for people on the live stream as well. If there's somebody watching right now who, who's afraid to engage the church again because maybe you've been hurt in the past by bringing questions forth, I, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to come and wrestle with your faith. We believe in Jesus and we believe that Jesus is greater than any doubt and we want to welcome you here to this family of faith because we are a family of faith that will stand with you, that will wrestle with you. And we'll believe for God's absolute best in your life as he reveals the fullness of who he is to you. So come. This is the place for you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you heal. Uh, God, heal the hurt from rejection. Heal that, Father. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to do this. Bring healing to them. Healing to their hearts, Father. God, I pray that your word would be confirmed in our hearts, Father, that you would lead us faithfully as only you can do, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us into the fullness of what it means to be like Christ in this world. We are here for you, Jesus. We want to participate in what you're doing in this world today. Be with every family, Father. 
God, I pray that you would give parents supernatural wisdom to, to speak the sincere faith to their children, to wrestle with their children's questions and with their children's doubts, Father, that they would not be afraid of the questions, but, Father, that they would embrace them because, Father, you stand above it all. Father, I pray for the students that they would be brave and, and courageous to go to their parents knowing that their parents will be there for them. God, that they don't have to be ashamed of what they're going through, but they can find comfort, Father, in their family and in their parents as we pass on this faith from generation to generation. Father, lead us to do it well in sincerity, Father. I thank you, God, for your words. You're so beautiful, and what you're doing is amazing in this world, and I thank you, Father, that you invite us in to participate in your great work of redeeming this world. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, we love you. That's it. It's my last one, so you don't have to hear me for a little while. I know. We'll give the Lord a hand clap for that. All right. That's, it was a joke. My jokes go over like that in the youth, too. It's fine. Anyways, we love you guys. I don't think, is there anything I'm supposed to, there's nothing I'm supposed to say. We'll see you Sunday morning for church. Have some good conversations with your students this weekend. Be blessed. Hi, live streamers. Thank you so much for joining us. We want you to know that we love you guys and are so happy to have you with us. Stay connected with us here on social media and remember to share when you're joining us live to spread hope to others. We will see you here next time. live streamers thank you so much for joining us we want you to know that we love you guys and are so happy to have you with us stay connected with us here on social media and remember to share when you're joining us live to spread hope to others we will see you here next time